You're listening to The Love Yegg Show. If our city could talk, these are the stories it would tell about the people, places, and passion in Edmonton. We interview difference makers in our community. Please welcome your hosts, Sherry Beauchamp and Jesse McCracken. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Love Yag Show. My name is Sherry Beauchamp, and I am here with the lovely Jesse McCracken. Hello, hello, everybody. And we have a very, very incredible guest um, to speak with us. Uh, I'm really excited to hear about what you've been up to. We have Titi Lope. And she is the city of Edmonton, uh, the ninth poet laureate of the city of Edmonton. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. So I've I've been kind of just reading up on you and and all the things that you've been up to. You have a very, very um, impressive uh, resume that is, it's incredible. I mean, it says here that you, uh, you're a writer and a poet and performer. who grasp moments of tenderness, which we're going to talk about, and also uh, persistent joy at the intersection of blackness and womanhood. Mm-hmm. And you're the author of three award-winning collections of poetry. And um, you've written books, you've written plays, you've, you're an actress. Um, you've done international advertising with, you know, different foundations and Google and Intel. Um, quite an impressive resume. It's, it's really cool how um, somebody like yourself is now a representative of our city, really. Mm-hmm. I think that's really Literary cool. ambassador. Yeah, it's yeah. honestly, it's I feel some days I have to really pinch myself to, to imagine that this is what I call my, my job. Like, this is my work. I used to be an engineer. And so I know what it is to show up to an office every day and just like grind. Yep. Um, so the fact that I get to live in the world this way feels like a supreme privilege. Like I just feel so lucky. <laughs> you know? That's awesome. I love it. I, I love it. Can you tell us what, um, I don't even, I'm not too sure if I'm even saying it right. A laureate, laureate, a poet uh, laureate. Yeah. Yeah. A poet, a poet. So you're the ninth poet laureate uh, of the city of Edmonton. Can you tell us kind of what, what that role is and, and what's entailed with that? Um, it's a beautiful, um, idea that the city gets to have what they call a literary ambassador. So the job of the poet laureate is sort of to tell the story of our city and the people in it, um, through poetry and the arts and to invite the people of the city to be connected to the arts in ways that they maybe wouldn't be in their everyday lives. Um, there are eight poet laureates before me and each one gets the opportunity to choose their own adventure. Um, The process to become a poet laureate is you apply, you send in your resume, you say, um, you know, tell them about your story and and what connects you to the city. And if you were the poet laureate, what would you you want to do with that role? And each, it's a very loose role. So each person gets to present a project or a thing, whatever feels most urgent or important to them in that time. And that's the only requirement really is that you are available to obviously speak at um, more official sort of city council events. Mm-hmm. But to just be in the city in a way that invites people into the work that you do and 
tells the story of Edmonton. It's a two-year term. And in that time, you know, you do work. For me anyway, I haven't, it hasn't been a year yet. I, my official start date was July 1st. But in that time, I've done workshops virtually, obviously, because, you know, we're in a different time at mm. schools and uh, performances and collaborations. It's really just about being like, where in this city can I plug myself in um, to tell some stories that make people feel like a part of something special, you know? So I got to tell you a story about, um, so the, the lady that books the podcast for us, her name is Christine Peterson. And so she was telling me, um, sending me some information about you. And um, I was doing a little reading before we, we met. And so she's like telling me how to pronounce your name because yep. she actually, this is crazy to me. So today, literally today, she was um, at our Cairo office and she said, the assistant, they started talking about like poetry and she's like, well, I love poetry. I run in circles of poetry all around the city. La, la, la. And so she was like, well, have you heard of like um, this lady who's like the, the city ambassador for poetry? And she like knew your name and she, that's, how, that's how I know how to pronounce your name. That's so, so sweet. And so I, you're obviously doing uh, very powerful work uh, using your words and connecting, trying, connecting trying, people really in the trying. city. <laughs> yeah. What, That's so beautiful. What, I love that. Yeah. I thought that I was just, she's like literally today, like the same day that we were recording the podcast. So I thought that was really cool how that all um, came, <laughs> came to, but can you talk about, um, you know, some of your favorite stories that you've come across the city or um, how you're incorporating um, you, you talked about the tenderness yeg project that you're doing can you tell us a little bit about so I'll talk a bit about that so for me at the time when my poet laureateship was um, announced uh, this was July 1st so we were coming into summertime it really did and I just had a there's like a sense of like newness in the air and it really felt like we were turning the corner on some a, a really tough past couple of years of course, things kind of ebb and flow. We go in, we go out, we go in and all that. But at the mm-hmm. time, it just felt like, okay, what's the next thing um, that would be meaningful to people? And, and I started to think about my own experience during the pandemic of being really isolated, um, pregnant twice. I, I, I got pregnant once, I miscarried and had to go through that experience alone. I mean, of course, with my husband and my son, who's three, um, but really like not having my community there with me was really hard, but the beauty of that experience was that people found a way. Like I had a friend who dropped a Caesar salad at my doorstep or just, I would open the door and just find little things that people knew that I needed. And that really got me thinking, even before I like applied to be the Poet Laureate, just about the sorts of things like that, that people were doing for each other to survive what has been really such a strange and difficult time. And so when I did apply for the work, I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to collect these stories all around the city of survival, of hope, of feeling like, you know, I'm going through a really hard time, but this little sliver, this little moment felt familiar and beautiful to me. Um, And I thought it would be great for all of us to share that with each other as a way to sort of archive, we survived something, we are surviving something, you know? Um, get people to submit it digitally, of course. And so there's a website where the hope is to have all of these stories up there. Um, But my eventual hope, either at the end of my term, if things are better, or sometime in the future, is to create 
like a physical installation where some of these things are hanging and you can listen. Some lady sent me herself playing the harp, this really beautiful piece. Um, to listen, I want to listen, audio visual feeling, tasting experience for people to come to, to, I call it a cathedral of tenderness, just something for all of us to gather and say, okay, like this is how we made it. This is what, this is how we survived it. Um, and so I've gotten from little bite-sized poems to my favorite story. And it's the one that I share all the time is about um, this person who sent me uh, a story about how they were going through a really painful divorce and had bought a little like orange or a tangerine plant. And it was dead at the time and really kind of like symbolic of what they were experiencing in their personal lives. Mm -hmm. So you just sort of threw it away in a corner somewhere. And many, many months later, they come back to this plant and it was like this, the citrus smell was in the air and it was blooming. And so the last line of the, the message says something like, um, beautiful things take time, give yourself time. And I just thought how beautiful, like what a beautiful metaphor for just like hanging in there, which is what I feel like all of us are doing right now. So lots of really sweet stories like that. Maybe selfishly, it's just a way for me to feel connected to something and to read these really special moments. But also I think it could be really something special for our city as a whole. So that's what the Tenderness Project is. And I'm hopeful that people will feel brave enough. Maybe because I'm a poet, there's like kind of a reluctance to send stories, but it can be as imperfect as you need it to be. I just want I just want to know what makes you, you know, feel warm and fuzzy inside, I guess. Yeah. That's beautiful. I think we we definitely need that obviously more than ever, right? And I love that like even in the, those dark moments, there's like something to cherish. There's something to look forward to and there's something so there's tenderness in in all these all these moments, all these things we've gone through. So um, I think that's very, very cool. Thank you. I was listening to one of your poems. Actually, I was listening to a couple of them um, before we came on. And I it's funny because I never really paid a, attention to it. And it's kind of been a little bit more in the last couple of years. Like the spoken word has been like out there and a little bit more mainstream. And it's like, it's literally like a dance, you know, like the, the tones of the voice, like in the whole story, it just feels like it takes you on an entire journey. Um, which one I, you know, I can't think of the name right now. It was something that you posted just a couple of weeks ago about uh, um, the women and uh-huh. what I, was I wearing white arrival. Oh, arrival. yes. With my whole yeah. family in it. Yeah, that was really fun to me. It, it's part of a project called Black on the Prairies. And it's about kind of documenting Black life on the prairies. So families like my, my, fam my family moved to Edmonton 24 years ago. Um, but their families that their generations date back 200 plus years in, on the prairies. And I don't think that we think about Blackness on the prairies in that way it feels like a recent occurrence. So this project is just a way to document that, you know, Black people from the Caribbean, from Africa, from all over have been on the prairies in some way and, and have history that's also a part of this place that we call home. Um, so that was a, a commission for that and just a way to tell, try to tell those stories in the ways that they're, they're, they're different and expansive. And yeah, I'd never really thought about myself as a prairie girl before, but mm. You know, I think 20, 24 years in one city feels very much like home. <laughs> yeah. 
So do you find that you are getting your inspiration just everywhere and you just go through like a creative flow where you're able to just to come out with all of these amazing pieces? And then do you have like a dry spell or is it, do you have like a, a way to get, get yourself ready to in the moment or the right space to write or? Yeah, it's interesting before um, poetry became my full-time job, I was an engineer and I always just seemed to feel inspired. I was always scribbling something somewhere. But the moment I left engineering, it was like, this is my job. There's a way that your brain is like, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. You have to work a little harder for this now. So I had to quickly realize that I couldn't wait for inspiration to just happen to me. Like I needed to be able to create and create consistently. And I tell people all the time, like I think that with any art, there's like a little bit of like a passion and a talent for something but really the only thing that has kept me in this game this long is a steadfast dedication to just showing up to my work right so some days I sit down and write nonsense <laughs> and just let that nonsense exist in the world for a second and I find the more I show up the wheel, the rusty wheel just, you know, kind of squeak forward <laughs> and then something happens. And maybe at the end of all of that, there's one line. Okay, maybe that's a line of a poem. Maybe this poem takes me three weeks to write and that's okay. So offering myself a lot of grace for how long it takes me to write something good, mm -hmm. but not just waiting for something good. Literally just, I practice, like I just, there are poetry exercises you can do. I listen to music. I try another art form. So I started playing well I've been I had a guitar since I was 15 but I never really really tried hard so once we were locked down I bought a new electric guitar and just kind of plucking away at something you know just trying mm -hmm. a new thing like getting your brain to think about something else is really great it's kind of like this thing where when you have something to do you do other things mm -hmm. <laughs> and waste oh, all yes. your time mm -hmm. but eventually you come back around to like what it is that you're trying to accomplish so yeah I just like I feel like I'm a student of all art forms I love music I love paintings I love clothing and I try to just immerse myself in things that make me feel alive and somewhere in there a poem might just appear and I try to grab it out of the air before it disappears <laughs> but yeah <laughs> well it's like the perfect storm because your like engineer training keeps you persistent and like accurate that you're going to spend the time you know but your free spirit is what your your artistic side so like I said you know sometimes if you're too artistic you have a really hard time sitting down and focusing but because you're an engineer at you know whether it's your gut or your heart or your brain that brings that part out it's it's that training, right? Because not everybody can train themselves. <laughs> yeah, like my engineering education was was brutal. <laughs> it's a very challenging program. Totally. And I really like kicking and screaming through it, you know, but you're right. Like what, what it did teach me was sticking through, like sticking with something, even when it's not mm -hmm. fun, you know, mm -hmm. because art isn't always just fun. Sometimes, all, most of the time, most of the creative process is you alone and mm -hmm. a blank page and just hoping that something happens. The part where people get to watch it later on is so far down the line that like, if that's all you care about, you won't like, you won't be able to survive it really. Yeah. 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 That's so interesting. Like total right, right brain, left brain, uh, you know, careers and you go from one to the other. That's really cool. Um, so I, I'm just reading here that your writing has been translated into Italian, German, and Slovak. 
mm-hmm. which I think is if you think about like the ripple effect of something like a poem and the words that, that you've created and, and created pieces around, um, around these moments and around these things that inspire you. And then that goes literally all over the world and your home base is in Edmonton. I think that's, that's pretty powerful um, to, to be able to have, you know, someone of that caliber, uh, you know, from Edmonton. So I think that's really neat. Thank you. Yeah. I think, poetry has reached art has reached you know and for someone to sit down to translate your work like it's a really intimate thing because they translating poetry isn't just like translating I don't know a recipe or something or just plain text mm-hmm. oftentimes they have to really understand the meaning of the thing you're trying to say so that they can translate it not just linearly into whatever language mm-hmm. but translate the emotion of it so I think it's a real privilege for someone to decide to translate because it's essentially like they're rewriting that poem in their own tongue. Um, I think it's an honor, really. You do. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, you have um, you have albums, albums out. You have um, plays and all kinds of great works. Um, do you feel like? is there something that you're working on now besides the tenderness yag or is it like on the down low or is it no there's no down low I feel like but when you when whenever you ask an artist so what are you working on now like a a feeling of panic sets in (laughs) 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 everything Um, nothing nothing, (laughs) so I've been very lucky to get into um a month-long writing residency in Scotland over the next month so I leave next week (laughs) on the 27th of this month and I'm gone to the 27th of March so traveling during this time is going to be challenging leaving my children is going to be challenging but what it presents is a month to just sit and write which um I haven't had in three years easily you know raising children is a circus (laughs) and I find you know change of scenery yeah 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 like I find pockets of time to write but I haven't had that same sort of like I'm in my work I'm undistracted for many many years so I'm really uh in answering your question I'm really quite interested to see what that does for my work I'm working towards my next collection um and right now it exists as like little skeletons of bits and bobs that I have time to put down Um, but I'm hopeful that in that month I can finish a scrappy first draft of something that goes towards my next body of work. So cross all the fingers and toes. <laughs> wow. Very excited. What is the process of something going into a, like, um, you know, like you said, all of the pieces and deciding that this is going to go into one, one place. Who is, uh, who's your audience that you test everything on? Is it, are you going through and choosing um, like an order of them? So it all kind of makes sense or how does that work? So you, I sort of start from a place where for me, there's a general um, season that I'm in and that season sort of dictates the kind of work that I write anyway, right? Yeah. It's kind of like if something is really heavy on your heart or your mind, everything you create is kind of just pointing towards that thing. So that tells me, okay, maybe I'm ready for a collection of yeah. work mm. that speaks to each other, work that feels like one family. Mm-hmm. But the I would have to say the majority of that work is working with brilliant editors. My last collection, um, I worked with uh, Alessandro Nacarato, and 
she is incredibly generous, but also incredibly insightful. So part of doing good like work that is good and can live beyond yourself is being able to release it to somebody else to say, mm, no. Mm, yeah. Have you thought about like moving this last poem to the beginning? Have you thought about scrapping this one all together? Maybe this poem is only these four lines. Maybe all of this yeah. is just junk. And being able to like hear that and, and receive it with grace. And, and then you go back. So it's kind of iterative. Like it's like you do the first draft and you kind of put the poems in an order that you think makes sense. And then you work to somebody who has done this and, and is a trusted second set of eyes and ears and you kind of go back and forth so some things I'll resist you might say junk this and I'm like this is too important to me I don't care if it's not good it's mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know and there's a bit of that so it's really like a call and response it's an exchange and then eventually you settle somewhere there's this quote that says that a poem is never finished it's just simply abandoned and that's kind of like working on a collection like I could be rewriting rearranging my collection until I die you know but at mm-hmm. some point you have to just say you know what like, it's okay. Like now mm-hmm. this has to go live in the world now. And Right before you said, sometimes it's never done, it's abandoned. I was going to ask, when do you know that when it's done? <laughs> you're like, or like, yeah. is there something that you're always like, that you started 10 years ago that you keep going back to and changing it? Because I could imagine you're like, oh, that, that part's really good, but I could have done a little better there. Like looking at your work years later, right? Oh, or are you like, oh, just as perfect <laughs> as it always was. Like I find it really hard to go back and even like read or engage my own work, but that's, you know, I'll take that up in therapy. (laughs) But um, I think there's a point you get to where you're going from editing to just like, now you're just tinkering and you're Mm -hmm. not like making any significant um, change. But I will say that because my work exists on the page and on the stage, I'm a, like I perform, I'm a spoken word poet. Mm -hmm. I tell people that there's a performance edit as well that happens, even when you're done on the page, when I'm actually saying the words out loud in a room full of people, there's another kind, like the, the poems on the page very rarely sound the same when I'm performing them because I allow myself room to just like drop a verse or change a word mm-hmm. um, and be like in the lived experience of that moment. Some audiences call for different things. Um, yeah. And so I'm, I'm the performance process feels very, um, you can improvise a lot more. You can edit the poem on the fly. And I love that because it's terrifying, but that's what mm-hmm. makes it exciting because you're just kind of like, okay, I'm doing this poem, but anything could happen right now. You know, mm-hmm. like we could go in a completely different direction. So Um, I think because I get to perform, I can write a poem and let it live on the page as complete. Mm -hmm. And then I have the added bonus of I'll be performing these poems for the rest of my life. And each time I can come to it with a new thing. And so that allows me to satisfy the urge to keep tinkering. <laughs> so I love it. Yeah, absolutely. And like I said, you could add a verse or, you know, depending on the stage of your life at that moment or yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like I said, it literally is, your voice is beautiful. Like I said, it's like, it literally is like, like if you close your eyes, it's like a dance <laughs> or no. just like, it's so Thank nice. <laughs> it just keeps getting deeper and deeper over time. So let's see, in a couple of years, I might just be like in my full base. <laughs> but yeah, I used to be like way up there in my pitch. And I guess maybe with age or something, my voice is getting deeper, but I'll take Well, it. hopefully that happens to, to me at some point. <laughs> not very relaxing <laughs> listening to Jesse. <laughs> I was going to ask you about um, 
you you mentioned that obviously you have little ones at home now is that um changing your perspective on on anything or is it having an influence on your work or um do you feel like maybe it's not because you're (laughs) because you haven't had the opportunity to yet or you know what I'm saying uh, um it changes change? everything you know it changes everything even the things we don't recognize in that moment um I wouldn't say that I've started aggressively writing about motherhood or my children or that experience but it usually comes to me sort of in retrospect um but I think there are elements there are elements of this experience that have changed me forever and because of that my work is going to be impacted. In what ways, I don't know yet, Um, but I do know that I'm not the same person I was three years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, my mind and my body have been through some things. Mm -hmm. Um, And my work is usually quite reflective of like, it's it's usually very true to whatever it is that I'm feeling. And so I'm sure my month away, a lot of this is gonna come up. (laughs) Um, So I'm even curious to see like what I create going into the, future but as far as just like my lived perspective yeah like bringing people into this world is a spectacular responsibility and I'm every day acutely aware that they depend on me to help them navigate this increasingly broken world that we live in and that terrifies me quite honestly I also think about raising black children in the world that we live in, a black boy (laughs) and what that means, but also trying to preserve his sense of childhood and joy and fun and his sense that anything is possible for him in the world, which it is. Um, So it's like this careful balance of like the anxiety of it all, but also like they make my life so full, you know, like they make, they make every day feel like a grand adventure because I don't know what, like, I don't know what my father's going to wake up doing. <laughs> like, I don't know what direction he's coming in. And so I'm a person who likes to control like most parts of my life. And my children have brought into my life a sense of ease, like I, I, uh, a sense of surrender. That's the word. Like I've really had to let go of, like right now, if you pan around this laptop, there's like, you know, dinner on the floor, (laughs) like a dry (laughs) bowl of spaghetti beside me. Like, you know, there's just this acceptance that everything cannot be put together all the time. And so often it's like my son asking me to get down on the floor and color with him. I have to remind myself that for him, this is the center of his universe. And so the dishes have to wait Mm -hmm. and the thing, the busyness has to wait so that I can be present for him. Um, yeah, so I, I don't know. I'm going on and on. It changes everything. And I think even raising children in this time is different too because we're all home together all the time, which feels kind of like a rare gift. Um, in our former lives, we were all kind of dashing off places and the kids would be at daycare or whatever it was. And uh, that's not happening so much anymore. So my kids only know a world in which both parents are home with them 24-7. <laughs> they think that's very, very like normal. Yeah, um, it's great for them, but you know, <laughs> for me, it's a whole other thing. <laughs> yeah, I have to find. Sometimes I'm recording podcasts like this in, in my closet because that's the only space left. 
Um, but yeah, it's beautiful. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see where it takes my work. So I guess the answer is I don't know yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We like to ask everybody about um, their legacy and how they want to be remembered. And you obviously have um, enormous uh, work and influence in, in everything that you've done so far and and there's still more to come. And so, you know, when you're looking back on this, you know, 20, 30, um, 40 years down the road, what, what do you want, um, you know, your kids, your grandkids, what do you want them to know about you as, you know, the work that you're doing and, and what that, what that means? How do you want them to remember that? Oof, that's a big question. (laughs) Um, I mean, there are many things, but I hope that the way that I lived my life gives people courage. I hope that it makes them feel less alone. I hope that it makes people feel more connected to this huge human experience that we're having. I guess I sometimes get messages from people about like a poem that they heard or saw or whatever it was that like pulled them from one dark place into one moment of feeling like, ah, maybe this is still possible. And I never take those messages for granted. I think it really is a privilege to speak in in a world and have people listen to you, especially in our world is very noisy right now. Like there's a lot of voices Mm -hmm. clamoring for our attention. And so for people to take time out of their lives to read a piece of something that I wrote or listen to it, feels like a supreme privilege. So if I can bring just a little bit of light into their lives, just a little bit of a sense that something more is possible. And I don't mean possible in these grand ways. Like I feel like, especially in like this hyper-connected social media age that we live in, bigger always seems better. But I think what I call people to do in my work is to come inside, like come into the little things, like the little moments and realize that those things, like your small, monotonous everyday life is also worthy of a big stage. It's also spectacular in its like everydayness that you get to wake up every day with people you love. That is a gift. And I'm hopeful that my work helps turn people back inside, like inside themselves, inside their homes, inside their people, inside their tribe and to value those things because everything else is fleeting and changes. But I think yeah, like I, I just want people to feel like we're all in this. <laughs> we're all in this together and that you too have a right, you too have a place in this world and your voice, your being, your life is singular. And that is a beautiful thing. Like there's nobody else on earth like you or me. And yeah, that's, that's worthy of great celebration. I want my children to read my work, their children to read and experience my work when I'm long gone and be like, yeah, grandma had balls. Like she had courage. She did <laughs> really cool things. Like that would make me very, very happy. That is beautiful. You said that there's nobody like you, nobody like me. And that is something to celebrate. And I was just telling Sherry that I've got 
a presentation that I need to do on Thursday that I'm like 50% done, but I will be working on it today. And that is like something that is like, just going to repeat in my, like through this, the theme of my presentation. And I love that. Oh, nice. I love that. Yeah. 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 You know, it's yeah, we're all, everybody's yeah. You know, it's, and like you said, going through this last little, you know, couple of years and you're just seeing people be angry at each other. They don't even know each other. And you're like, why, but you're, this person's crossing the street and you're like, why are we angry? Let's just all appreciate each other's differences and understanding where we're all coming from and realize that we're all just coming from our own experiences. You know? Yeah. I think it's just, um, cumulative momentum of Mm -hmm. like a continued, division that's happening in the world and ah you know I mean we could that's another hour at the core of that is the belief that we have that somehow there's a way to get through this alone and there really is not no spreading the love there like really you said not. taking um all the happiness in the little moments that we get to have every day you know, we're very lucky. We are. Yeah. So if someone wants to um, get involved in your tenderness project, you said before they can go to the your website, tenderness.ca, yep. or they can use the hashtag tenderness yag. Yep. And um, just tell their little stories, their poems, their... Um, a little picture someone sent me a picture of a cat they rescued <laughs> that was really sweet yeah yeah all of that is welcome all of it and you're you're documenting and compiling it and um potentially gonna bring something together that could be an in-person gallery kind of crossing fingers and toes fingers and toes i, I love that. that again you know, so, so much of my work is like in the world with people. And so this has been a real adjustment for me. And I'm hopeful to be able to, you know, be in community again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even though, yeah. like, I'm not saying this to say that we ever really go back <laughs> to exactly how things were, but mm-hmm. I think there's more than this, you know, mm-hmm. more. and I want that. Definitely. We, um, we appreciate you taking the time. Um, Jesse is right. Like your voice is like, hypnotic. I, know. I could just like, like listen to you tell a story. Like I can't imagine, you know, what your performances My are like. My bedtime stories are hits around here. <laughs> yeah, I'm oh, sure. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> Guarantee that. So thank you very much for um, spending some time with us. We, we off, honestly are um, honored and privileged to, to be able to have you on. It was a treat. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) If you were inspired by our show, please take a moment to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen and share with friends. You can always find show notes at loveyegshow.ca. Keep listening.